0: Welcome to Campaign's weekly newscast podcast coming to you this week from Mother's offices over in Shoreditch and I'm Claire Beal from Campaign. With me today I've got Chris Gallery, a partner at Mother I've got Mike Cooper the Global Chief of PhD and I've got my colleague from Campaign, Omar Oaks who looks after all of our news output So it's been um, a busy week for PhD because they've just won um hsb's global reader account uh which is the reason obviously you're here michael though um we would have got round to inviting you at some point anyway had you not had you not just won a a mega account um why don't we kick off talking about that because um it certainly generated a lot of interest on our website this week uh you worked out in asia for quite a long time didn't you you how many years Fifteen. Fifteen years. Did that? Does that help? Does that make any difference? It was all down
1: to the fact that I had an HSBC bank account twenty-five years ago. <laughs> really? That's what swung it.
0: <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the process. Who did you? Who did you pitch against? What was the nature of the brief? We hear so much about media accounts being um, so procurement-led. I know you you can't go into masses of detail, but just give us a flavour of what HSBC.
1: HBC was looking for? Um, I, I, I think to start with, it was the most positive pitch experience I think we've ever had, and I think it was the best run pitch we've ever been involved with, because um, they held the briefing at the Museum of Brands, which was kind of uh, um, fun and inspirational and different. Um, they called, it in, they nicknamed the project internally, they had a code word for it, which was Project Sunshine, and Aww. Leanne Cuts the uh, cmo of hsbc stood up and said that she wanted this all to be a very positive and optimistic and future-facing pitch process and that kind of set the tone for it actually so it was very it was honestly very enjoyable i mean pitches are always incredibly hard work you know you're working weekends there's always a lot of tension and a lot of stress involved but um, actually it was a highly enjoyable pitch process
0: i'm i'm Reading into the fact that you're making a particular point about that, that is quite unusual.
1: I think it is. it can be quite unusual. I mean, you know, pitches can be kind of quite brutal. And, um, and obviously, you know, I mean, you know, we, 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 we go through procurement purchases with all of these things these days, as, as you know, as, as one does, as, as everybody does, I suppose. Um, but, you know, that doesn't have to mean that the project is unpleasant it's um, not a
0: good start to a relationship. If, if the whole pitch process is really painful, then you end up hating each other before yeah, you no, to Yeah, no, absolutely,
1: absolutely. So I, I really appreciate it. I, mean, I genuinely really appreciated the way in which the pitch was run by HSBC and by ID Comms, who was their pitch consultant. I thought it was a, it was a really positive, enjoyable process. And I think it was a process where, I mean, we had multiple um, strategic briefs against different projects. We also had meetings in uh, local market meetings in London, New York, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and Mexico City. Um, so it was a pretty uh, thorough process, although over a fairly condensed period of time for a global pitch. I think it was sort of completed in just over two months. Um, but um, yes, it wasn't it wasn't brutal if that's what you're if that's what you're asking. Um, I'm,
0: I'm I- just going to read out this quote from Leanne Cuts because um, it's. It's quite interesting that she she specifically honed on in this. She said, PhD demonstrated strong strategic skills and advanced digital transformation capabilities in a complex media and communications marketplace. PhD's overall approach stood out as being forward-thinking, yet straightforward, and pragmatic. Again, it sounds like that that isn't necessarily a process that that marketers um, find straightforward and and pragmatic. Um, In the light of, I will come on in a minute to talk about Accenture, but in the light of their announcement today about their moving into programmatic, we are um, operating in a really complex media environment now. Um, Do you see that clients are are looking for simplicity increasingly? Is that a big...
1: I think think they are looking for people to help them simplify a very complex world. I think the, the other thing I would add about HSBC is that... You know, people, and we'll come on to talk about this in the context of Accenture, I guess. But people and chemistry, talent and chemistry, was very, very important in this process. And I mean, quite honestly, I mean, I'd be interested in you know in in your experience about this as well. But I mean, you know, that that is something which features in every major pitch that we do, quite honestly. And and this was particularly important, I think, with HSBC.
0: I mean, that is really interesting because you tend to think, I think, with creative pitches, the personalities and the sort of the creative. Spark is really important. And in media pitches, it's about price and, and I, I, tools.
1: I, I, I reject that. I honestly reject that. I mean, maybe that's that's the, type of, that's the type of agency we are because PhD is a challenger yeah. brand. We've been heavily strategically orientated since we were founded in 1990, and you know our objective, which you know hopefully we're getting there with wins like Volkswagen and HSBC and you know others, is is to be a challenger brand at scale because we yeah. believe that challenger brands can be very large
0: Um,
1: so I I, I reject the fact that media is all about pricing that that is a component in it but I I often think about new business pitches as being like you know a Formula One racing team you know you've got to have every component right you know you've got to have all of the bits right and pricing is a component of that and and I I just go on to say that I mean pricing and fees you know if a client really wants to work with you they will find a way around financial obstacles to make sure they get the result they want.
0: Yeah. Just so how, how much does pricing figure in your your pitches, Chris?
2: Uh, hopefully, it's the last thing that, we've, that clients think about when they're deciding on whether we win a pitch or not. I think we always talk about great work and the relationship and having fun being the first things, and then price comes into it. Once you have those two things, obviously the procurement process is part of it all, but. We really, really try. Like when there's a pitch and the first thing a client's asking about is what pricing levels are going to be or what your costs are going to be, we know that that's culturally going to be the wrong thing for us because that's not what drives us. Now I go back to the chemistry point that you were making, they, they, there is a stat about the amount of pitches that are won at chemistry meeting stage, which I don't quite believe, because I think you have to follow through that and you have to deliver the work. But you know when you leave a chemistry meeting whether or not you get on so well with those people that you can work with them and you can get into the trenches with them. I think that, and more often than not, when you have that feeling, you just, it pushes you to do the great work and 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 get it over the line. I think that that chemistry is definitely the most important thing for us on pitches. Uh,
0: As we're talking about people and chemistry, let's, let's move on to Accenture. Again, we tend to think about process uh, when we think about um, a business like theirs. But, Omar, can you tell us a little bit about the announcement they've made today?
3: Yeah, well, it seems um, we've got another week where we can't get away from Accenture. They're always in the news. Um, today, just hot off the presses, um, they've announced that they're launching a programmatic media planning and buying unit. Um, basically, what it means is they're going to help clients manage their programmatic ad buying in-house Um, and plan and buy media programmatically on a client's behalf. Um, So very briefly, it's going to focus on three areas, programmatic consulting and in-housing, as they call it, and then media strategy, planning and activation, and finally, ad tech implementation and support. And um, listeners to last week's podcast might remember we were talking about the Cagencies, as they called it, this so-called amalgamation in the future between Ad agencies and consultancies for the bigger clients, and I suppose um, my question to you, Mike, would be: Firstly, quickly, what do you think about the K- agencies piece? Is that something that you credibly see going forward? And also, what do you think about this latest announcement about programmatic buying by Accenture? I, look, I think
1: first of all, clients decide, you know. And I mean, look, you know, good luck to Accenture with this. You know, I'm, I'm sure they'll make a, you know, a, do a good a good job of it, but. You know, I mean, clients ultimately decide on these things. And, you know, I noticed in the press release it talks about taking back control of your media. I mean, you know, I don't feel that any of our clients feel that they've lost control by by working with us, and we'd find out in pretty short order if they they did. Um, I mean, you know, to me... I mean, you know, I've been asked about this on a number of occasions before, about, you know, you know Accenture kind of moving into this area, the move of the consultants, their presence at Cannes and everything else. I mean, what I would sort of say is that, you know, we work very, very hard to create cultures at different agencies. I'm sure an agency like Mother or an agency like PhD and, you know, all media and creative agencies. And to, and, and to maintain the best talent. There are elements to that which, frankly, are very hard to replicate um, and, I, and I, I really do passionately believe that what this business boils down to more than anything else is the talent that we have working for us, I mean that's, that's our kind of like uh, that's, that's what we have, it's all we have um, and you know I, I'm sure that Accenture have kind of great systems and uh, you know technology in this in this area but you know it, it's not just about one area and you cannot completely separate programmatic from an entire communication strategy and just do that in in isolation
0: well they've also talked about um that the, they won't they won't arbitrage media uh, which is something that media agencies have been accused of in the past i mean, do, do you think that's an issue for clients Look, is it a winning strategy to say they weren't arbitrage?
1: Um, look, I think, you know, we've been pitching business on the basis of transparency for years and years now, quite honestly. And uh, so I think to sort of paint the entire media industry as something sort of like dirty and, and dark, quite honestly, is a kind of like a stretch of the truth, quite honestly. I mean, if we if that was true, we wouldn't be in business.
0: But n- nevertheless, what we hear from some of the big international clients is that they do want to take more and more of their media in-house whether that's through Accenture helping them in-house or mm. or whether that's them taking on the responsibility themselves. Do you, do you feel threatened by that suggestion?
1: I think there are elements of areas that they will take in-house and Procter & Gamble's you're talking about taking its programmatic in-house and, and, and kind of like has been. I mean you know i I mean, I do think these things kind of like go in cycles, quite honestly, and there are advantages and disadvantages to, to doing that. And getting, I, I just go back to this point about talent again, because getting the expertise that you know, that you need to do this, particularly when you're not based in a, a centre like London, which a lot of clients are not, if you're based in some sort of like far-flung location somewhere yeah. else, it's very difficult to get the talent to be able to do it for you unless you're prepared to set up an office in London or Berlin or New York or you know wherever the centre where you find the talent, I think that's very hard to replicate.
0: Chris, with um, uh, with the the agencies' uh, point that Omar mentioned, uh, this idea of, of consultancies and agencies coming together, and we we know Accenture and Deloitte and um, particularly have been buying up creative agencies. Does it, the implication is that um, the sort of the boutique Creative agencies will, will be the alternative model in this world where the, the agencies dominate. Do you spend any time at all thinking about the consultants coming and eating your lunch, that, that sort of cliche?
2: Um, I mean, all I could think as you were talking about the programmatic thing was what's next? Is it going to be Alexa buy my media plan for me? It's, like <laughs> it's not going to quite work like that. I, I think the. Uh, there's always, for us, there's always some alternative model that we're fighting against. It always feels like we're the, the independent agencies or boutiques are always the light side against some form of dark side that's trying to take over everything. Whether that's a micro network that has all the agencies under one house or whether it's a big WPP and next it's going to be the consultancies and agencies. There's always going to be something that is the thing that we're not. And maybe that will be it, but it's, I know it's always going to be something. We can't focus on the things that we're not. We just... Focus on the things that we're good at, and where we can be a great partner for clients. So, if they want to create the most meaningful connections, or fame for their brand, or ongoing, useful conversations with people, I think we're going to be the best place to do that. Always because we have the talent and the right people to do that.
0: You are you are so um, so very much a creative-led company, um, where where many other agencies creativity is sort of given away for free as part of a, an overall service. Um, Given that and your proud independence, uh, which is sort of proclaimed on a neon sign downstairs here in the agency, not for sale, um, do you do you feel protected in this in this environment where so many other types of models are, are coming under pressure?
2: Yeah, to an extent, because we're in control of our own destiny. We're not looking at a share price that is. Like I saw the MDC story from last week, and they're, they're, all their um, revenues are at the same level as last year, so their share price dropped in half, and I think they're doing quite well to be almost at the same revenues as last year in the current environment, so, so we, we feel protected to not have that happening to us. I do fear that there is a thing where I, I see all the stories about what's happening with WPP and what's happening in the craziness of the big world, and it, it remind, just because Star Wars is out this week, I was going to do a Star Wars reference, the... Uh, it's like at the end of the first Star Wars movies, the, uh, the, the, the Emperor got killed, Darth Vader was gone, and the, Empire, and the Rebels won. Then we come back 20 years later, and, and the, the Empire's still going with something else there, and the Rebels are still like, trying to fight away the merry bunch. And I, I, just, I don't want that to be the future. I want the Rebels to win at some point. Let's figure out a way of doing that.
0: Um, what, what else has been um, performing well on our website this week? What other news are people really engaging with?
2: Um, well, as you can imagine,
3: lots of people were interested in the aforementioned k story. And um, just to note, also interested, very interested, in fact, in um, the HBC, HSBC win for PhD. Um, and believe me, we'll have a lot of follow-ups on that on the website going forward. Um, today, um, Channel 4 this morning have announced the next round of diversity in advertising. Um, so, very briefly, um, they're going to give its next diversity in advertising award to a creative idea that challenges the portrayal of women in media. And um, this is the third round, I believe, um, that they've done this. It started in 2016 for the Paralympics. And I suppose um, we were speaking before the podcast started. Um, do we really need this award nowadays to get people excited about this topic? It seems. Well,
0: it is really. I was doing. Um a session at Channel 4 this morning where they unveiled the, the brief for this year and we looked at the previous two winners which uh, you'll remember was Maltesers, um, series of commercials around disability and then last year Lloyds Bank did uh, a commercial around mental health and those have become such familiar campaigns now, it's hard to remember um, that how brave they were even just two years ago, but yes we still, it does, does still need Necessary that we have a media owner putting a million pounds worth of free airtime up for up for pitch in order to get the industry excited about these briefs around diversity. Um, Chris, is it is it something that you think about consciously at the agency when it comes to to your creative treatments to to have a diverse um, cast list, uh, uh, any sort of diverse messaging within embedded within the ads?
2: I mean, it's, it's not... Uh, we, we're always very conscious of, of how we can encourage diversity and the power we have with brands to put positive messages out into the world. I mean, I look at something... But it's not something we're actively going, we have to do this in this ad, but it just happens naturally because maybe we're trying to do that sometimes. Last year, we, got, we had an IKEA campaign. It was, just, it was a wonderful everyday spot. It was a celebration of just little things in life. And the casting was an all-black family, and there was a lot... Of, we didn't think about the time... We were doing anything particularly that was pushing the envelope. out. It. it was just normal because they happened to be the best family for that role, and we thought let's let's do it. And then that got a lot of commentary. It got a lot of people felt very positive about that. Um, Someone a brand was depicting this, and I think actually I found it almost kind of sad that we that, that not enough brands do that. It was just a normal thing that we were trying to do that happened to be the right thing to do for that brief. So the Channel Four thing does encourage more people to think about it and put it front and center. So that can only be good. Uh, I would say as well, the, the other thing that I like from the Channel Four side of things is that it, it's it makes you think about a diverse message as the centerpiece of what the brand message is, rather than too often there's kind of CSR briefs that sit around the edges. And how can you make something actually the centerpiece of what we're gonna stand for and put the main weight of media behind that? And I think that's what Channel Four because that has allowed more teasers to do a little bit more of, and now that continues. I think that's it's just a really positive thing that it starts people to think about diversity being the centre of messaging rather than something on the side.
0: It does have to be really authentic for the brand itself, though, as well, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, do you do you find some clients going, "Oh, I, I feel like I should put a cause or a yeah, um, I just a, a sort of mission within this, and it, it doesn't really fit with the, the brand, yeah, so.
2: absolutely. I don't think anybody needed to see another brand coming and talking about how we. That point of view on Brexit, for example, I think there was a lot of around the start in the last year. There was a lot of breeze kicking around that were all about let's encourage the, um, people coming together in Britain. And I think that I don't know. I just there was I saw something this week uh, questioning whether or not brands were going too far on purpose sometimes. And I do think you, you could just smell a rat when it's just not tied in, don't you? When it's not, when it's something that feels like badging or are just opportunistic. I think people can get more turned off by it than it being a positive thing. But if you look hard enough, there will be something happening in a company somewhere that is a positive a positive initiative. And I'd encourage people to try and find those and put more of a spotlight on them rather than invent something that is is, is just not relevant.
0: But how, and how do you feel about the fact that it's, it's 2018 and, and Channel 4 feels it it's necessary, and I, I'd agree it is necessary, that we need to... A brief around the portrayal of women in advertising. I mean, that's isn't it that crazy that we're still this is an issue in two thousand eighteen.
2: Yeah, it feels like what it's you do find yourself going is just not just common sense. But I guess if people feel like it's not that there is an issue, then unless we start doing something more encouraging everyone to do something, then what's going to change? I mean, the it, it, if. It's crazy that it is still an issue today. That it completely is. So let's just all start saying it's crazy and do something.
0: Yeah, I think clients. I feel clients have a responsibility to demand it of agencies, yeah. um, not only in the teams that, that work on their account, but in the way their mm-hmm. their advertising, um, talks to consumers. I also think
1: agencies. I mean, you know, have an increasing duty of care. You know, both, both as agencies and as an industry, to to provide a kind of like a safe you know, harassment-free environment at, at, at agencies. I mean, you know, we, we had the median gender pay gap published recently. And, um, you know, there's still some quite alarming numbers in that, which, which, to be honest, kind of might surprise me. I mean, I think ours at PhD, I think it's one of the best ones. It's 2.56%, which is which is kind of like good. But, I mean, there are agencies you know, north of 2025... 30%. And that, that, that really quite surprised me. I mean, I, maybe I've just been sort of foolishly naive over this, but you know, I, I, I would have thought it would be a lot closer across the, the industry, quite honestly.
2: Yeah, I feel the same on some of the, the more harassment stories that have been so prevalent in the news. I've, I've interviewed several people recently that have told me stories from agencies they're in that I'm just shocked that. Uh, Just basic commentary that gets passed. That happens today. Just again, I feel like I'm being really naive, and that I'm sitting in some bubble where that doesn't happen. But it is clearly happening out there because I'm hearing young people tell me about this, and I just think people need to look at themselves in the mirror and think, "What on earth am I doing?" If they are in any way making people feel uncomfortable in their own work environment.
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: from a from a client perspective,
1: I just think it's good business sense to have demonstrate diversity. Through, and, and gender equality through your communication so I, I can't really understand why any client wouldn't Im- embrace that
0: there, there are plenty of reports now that absolutely underline the, the business value of diversity you know, it, it drives better performance than yeah. undiverse teams and undiverse work um, okay, one last thing before we conclude this week, Omar has been uh, had a grilling, well, or supposed, supposed to have had a grilling but actually it didn't turn out quite that way did it Talk us through that a little bit. Well, I
3: feel like um, we've been here before, haven't we, with um, his recent appearance in front of the US Senate, who, um, let's just say, I think we can all agree, didn't give the best account of themselves in terms of being... The best inquisitors of what's going on in the media industry globally. Um, so, what's happened, Zuckerberg? Um, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday lunchtime. Zuckerberg appeared before the European Parliament last night on Tuesday, and to his credit, I guess he admitted user experience may worsen as it strives as it strives to address data safety and security challenges. But I think anyone who's um, actually seen his performance, that, you know, would say that again, he wasn't actually questioned on the big issues when it comes to transparency and what is Facebook actually going to do. The big thing that's happening on Friday, as we all know, the 25th of May, is GDPR, which comes into force for all European Union citizens. Um, I suppose an interesting time for Britain to be leaving the European Union, but enough about that. Um, He spoke in detail about monitoring the type of content Facebook serves. He said that Facebook now has the ability to develop more AI tools to flag the content out front. Mike, what do you think, does it inspire hope that you know the world's biggest media company um, still isn't being scrutinised in maybe the way we want it to?
1: You know, I, I think that, um, I, I, I do feel what's really interesting about this is that, you know, I mean, everybody knows Facebook. Everybody knows Mark Zuckerberg is. Most people in the U.S. have no idea who their senators are, and they never watch their senators on television. And I, I think you know the job of a senator kind of like ranks somewhere beneath that of a, a lawyer or a garbage collector in terms of kind of like respect. And it, to the same extent, it's the same in the European Union. I mean, I just don't think that most pe- young people, uh, you know, are aware of who who most of these people are. So to me, the people actually on trial in this process are the senators and and. and uh, you know, the, the, the members of the European Commission that interrogated Mark Zuckerberg, because the vast—I mean, I would bet that 95% of the people watching that have never watched a Senate session or a, a European Commission sort of session, quite honestly. Because I mean, the profile of most of the people watching it is going to be fairly young, I would guess. And I, I don't think they gave a good account of themselves. I don't think it's good that the that, you know the people that you know are, are responsible for in part governing the United States, demonstrates such ignorance over something that most of that audience is going to be incredibly familiar with. So I thought from their point of view, it was a bit of a missed opportunity, quite honestly, uh, you know, to, 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 to sort of demonstrate more understanding of what most of their citizens are actually doing on a kind of like a daily, even hourly basis.
3: Over the weekend, Matt Hancock was on the Andrew Marr show um, talking about new steps he wants to take to regulate the tech giants. Do you think the UK government is has the capability to regulate a Facebook, a Google?
1: Well, I don't think it's a good start. Mark Zuckerberg hasn't turned up in front of the uh, Parliamentary Commission to sort of talk about this. I don't think it's, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I personally, I think he, he, he should do that. And, you know, it's sort of you know, slightly disrespectful. If you remember a few years ago, Irene Rosenfeld, uh, when board vocabulary or craft cabri was asked to do that and she didn't turn up and that was a um, you know I don't think that, that sort of helped her case okay, so I think Mark Zuckerberg should do that um, so I mean if you're asking does the UK have the sort of teeth to do that I mean I, I, I kind of think it does but I suspect they will be heavily influenced by what happens elsewhere whether we're inside the European Union Um, I think they will take their lead from what happens in the US and what happens in the rest of Europe. Uh,
0: And if you could pin Mark Zuckerberg down and ask him one question, what would you ask him?
1: I I would ask him for for a concrete action plan in writing of what they actually plan to do. And I'm sure he and his people are very capable of doing that, but I, I, I still didn't get a concrete sense of of, of of what they're supposed to do i have to say i didn't really watch the broadcast because we were out celebrating having won hsbc last night <laughs> That's so a good we, probably, reason. We, we weren't in a fit state to kind of like you know absorb all of it but um you know it did look quite sort of um formal and um you know a bit of a repeat of the statements from from the last uh, session i thought in the United
0: States. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Okay, well, look, Mike, thank you so much. Well done um, on this week's win. Chris, that was a pleasure talking to you. And Omar, thank you for being on top of the news as usual. You've much. been listening to the Campaign Newscast. Uh, join us again next week.